Welcome back to the Key in the Late Podcast, the premier whiskey podcast, now with the mention of whiskey in its title. We are on a very special, special, special field trip to the Birch Road Cellar in Roscoe Village, Chicago, Illinois, to record a, record a live podcast with a whiskey tasting in front of people, Callum. It's an audience. Round of applause for the audience. Yeah, yeah, looking good. Looking good, looking good, looking real good. Callum O'Donnell is with me. I'm Jake Hookie, the host of this podcast, and Callum is... Uh, my co-host. Occasional co-host. Occasional co-host. When I'm not gallivanting. Welcome back from New York. Thanks. Yeah, how was it? Uh, Tyron. Were you tasting whiskey? I was. Oh. A lot of it. You ready to do it again? Yes, I am. Awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> well, we are pleasure to have Kim here with us too, who runs Birch Road. Um, you have two locations here in Chicago. This is the second uh, event Calum and I have done here, and thank you for having us, Kim. Yeah, so glad to have you guys. Yeah, so tonight we are going to be tasting... Whiskey's from four different distilleries. Uh, Star Wars, if I may be a little self-indulgent there. Kelly, thanks for showing up. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, West Kelly Point. totally thought she was going to get away with that there. Yeah, she did. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, yes, the yes. podcast is starting. I snuck in. I snuck right by those guys. I have them all fooled. Um, we're also going to be tasting Abelauer, Callum's distillery that he works for. Greatest distillery in the world. Wow, wow, wow. High praise. And also the Glenlivet. Um, it's up there. It's mm, good. It does mm, the job. Mm, um, mm. The Glenlivet, I've, I worked a little bit with the Glenlivet, but obviously... Um, Jenna Murray, who usually uh, is the uh, brand ambassador for Glenlivet in Chicago, she's currently in New York. Apparently, that's the place to be these days. Oh, I love it there. I almost moved there this summer. Oh, God. But then I was like, I can't leave you. I know. He actually does look after me, by the way. Like, for anyone that hasn't listened to the podcast before, I... Well, more of like my wife watches over both of us. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, there we go. And by watching over, we mean basically like she shouts at us periodically for doing dumb shit. Definitely. Definitely. So, and... uh Last but not least, we will also be tasting Westward Whiskey, which we've tasted on the podcast multiple times, but never actually had anybody from the distillery, but we're so happy to have Kyle here with us tonight. Hell yeah, representing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to be tasting a bunch of these whiskeys. We're going to be starting with Star Ward, talking to the people of uh, Birch Road right now. Um, we're going to be going through the lineup of three different whiskeys from each brand. We'll have a little intermission between each one, pouring uh, as we pour, re-pour the whiskeys there, but... We will talk about our brands as brand representatives and go from there. But uh, Kim, could you fill us in on a little, about, little bit about Birch Road and what it is? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, we do have two locations in Chicago. So we have our Lincoln Park location is the original flagship. We're at the Roscoe Village Club right now. Um, we have one that we have in Seattle, Washington as well. Oh. So if you have any listeners out there. Um, Birch Road Cellar is a neighborhood clubhouse. So if you think about a gym or like a co-working space. This is a space that's membership based, but we're a lot more focused on your social life. So you can come here, have a drink with friends, you can work during the day, you can meet a client, but most of all, we do these amazing member events where people can meet each other, share a drink, um, a lot of passion or, around or here. Or 12. Or 12, yeah. like tonight. Um, mingle, people, mingle. <laughs> But we have a lot of what we call the bevies, you know, yeah. the people who really care about the drink. And uh, it's fun. We get to meet new brands, meet new people um, like you guys. Um, we're really excited to always connect brand, good brands with good people. Awesome. Well, thank you for having us once again. And if you're out here in Chicago or Seattle, I'm talking to you, Dave Vitale, founder of Starward Whiskey, who now lives in Seattle. Maybe you should come by and see if you need a membership here to hang idea. out, get some work done. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. That's so ambitious to think that Dave listens to this podcast. <laughs> he does. He's, he, so he's, he listens to it until he will come on at some point. We've never <laughs> have had him on as a guest after 155 episodes. There's been a couple of near misses, though. We've had mm, him scheduled, mm -hmm. and then he's... 
you know, him and I travel a lot together for work, uh, gallivanting across the country. And I always bring two microphones with, with me wherever I go in the recorder. And I always tell him, Dave, like, this yep. is your time. Like it's twelve twenty at night right now. This is like the fourth bar we've been to. I think it'd be a great time for a podcast <laughs> in my hotel room or yours. So for anyone that hasn't listened to this podcast before, this is going. This is the most sober we've ever been when we started it. And by that, I mean neither of us have had a. Well, we've had. I had a beer at lunch. Okay, so we're not completely one hundred percent sober. But usually when we start this podcast, we've been to four or five accounts mm. and. Um, we take 20 minutes just to get through the intro. So yeah. well, we're, we're currently we're, beating all of our records. We're working there right now. So we are uh, both brand ambassadors, obviously, for distilleries. And we started the podcast uh, almost be three years in February. We've done 150 plus episodes. And the whole idea of the podcast was to tell a story behind the bottle. So we wanted to talk to makers of distilleries, brand representatives, bartenders, beverage directors, uh, whiskey influencers, anybody who we thought had a great story to tell about why they love whiskey and how it came to be a part of their lives. Um, we both have detailed that enough on the podcast in previous times. So you can search you know, through 150 episodes of that catalog to figure out why Callum and I have a podcast about whiskey. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a st- very uh, special thing in our lives, whiskey that is. And we love to share our stories and other stories um, with a compelling story, I guess, about it. So here we are tonight to taste um, and we get to talk about our individual brands. We surprisingly don't talk about our brands all that much on the podcast. I know we usually talk about other people's brands, but it's a bit stupid, really, when you think about right. it. Right, free marketing. We should be, we should, yeah, we should be pumping, pumping Avalar and Starwood all the time. That's what I tell my boss. I'm like, whenever I have a buyer on the podcast, I'm like, oh no, I was doing work. I was talking to a buyer, you know, trying to get in at the day, not just recording a podcast in the middle of an afternoon on a Monday. So, um, but yeah, other than that, guys, I think we can jump right into tasting some whiskey. How do you feel? About Everybody's that? ready to get stuck in, yeah. right? Enough yeah. of the crap. <laughs> Yeah, and um, because it's my podcast, I'll go first, I guess. Pull <laughs> <laughs> and rank, I love that. I, I guess so, yeah. So we'll be talking from back here, um, people who are now listening um, a week later after we did this tasting. Um, you can enjoy along too if you have any of the whiskeys at home. So what we're going to be doing first is Star Wars whiskey, beginning with Twofold, uh, Nova, and then Solera. Just a little bit about Star Wars um, we are an Australian single malt distillery based out of Melbourne, Australia. We started entering the United States a little less than three years ago, kind of right about the time I started this podcast, and um, started selling our whiskeys over here. The foundation of the distillery is to make a pure Australian product. What that means is that our founder, he started making whiskey 15 years ago with uh, local farmers to get their grain. So we did get all local barley, we malt everything in Australia, and then after we get done doing the distillation process, at double potzel distillation that is, at our warehouse, we put it into uh, red wine barrels for three to four years. And all those red wine casks come from local vineyards in Australia. A lot of them are only a day's drive away. What we say is that anything we produce at Star Ward is a day's drive away. So the grains, the yeast strain we developed over the years, um, the distillery itself obviously being in Melbourne, and then the wine barrels that we get from vin- these really great vineyards um, are all a part, are all within a day's drive away. Way. Why we use red wine barrels for a full maturation, which is a little bit of a rare thing. A lot of distilleries will put their whiskey inside of a wine barrel after maturation period and put their their whiskey in there after it's been barrel aging for seven, eight, mm. ten years, whatever number it might be. They'll put it in a wine cast for six to twelve months and call it a finish, or three to twelve months is kind of the typical range. Mm. 
what we wanted to do is a full wine cast maturation to bring in what Australia is best known for when it came to the alcohol world, which is red wine, and incorporate that into the foundation of our product. So we are a single malt distillery that honors the tradition of the past, Scotland, Ireland, Japan, all these other world whiskeys that are out there too, by doing a double pot still distillation, using single malts, malted barley that is, and then we have our own little take on it by using basically Melbourne as a really big tool for us. It's a great fluctuation in temperature in Melbourne. It'll go from 60 degrees to 110 degrees in a summer's day. And with that, our barrels open and contract at a very high rate of speed. At that high rate of speed, we are pulling a lot of flavor out of the wine barrels. When we get these wine casts, within 48 hours, we're dumping whiskey inside of there. So we call it fresh filling, um, fresh dumping, if you will, where all we do is really steam coat our barrels with a steamer, pulls out a little bit of the tannins, pulls out a little bit of the sulfur, put whiskey in there, let it barrel age for three to four years. After three to four years, we cut it down to about 82 proof, 85 proof, kind of for most of our whiskeys in that range, and serve it with a delightful single malt whiskey that kind of has the pride of Australia on our back because we are the largest distillery in Australia, which sounds really cool to say, but for everybody in this room, being Chicagoans, we're about the size of Cobol, put in that context. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love this. I was like, coming, out, coming here tonight, I was like, do you know what? I've drank all week. I'm super tired. I'm not going to drink. And then mm. now you're talking about this, and I'm like, fuck it. Mm. Doing my job. Doing my job. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so we produce a little bit larger than craft distilleries, big craft distilleries in the United States, maybe like 20,000 gallons more or so, which seems like a lot, but when – Distillers are pumping that out in a couple hours. Big distilleries around here in America, it's not that much. But we define ourselves as a single malt distillery that we think we can pair our whiskeys with food. Um, our, our owner, he um, I mentioned his name, Dave Vitali. It's Italian. His family immigrated from Italy to Australia a few generations back, and he comes from a very large family. If anybody's Italian here, you know you always have a family gathering, ton of food, way too much food. Good red wine, also terrible red wine. <laughs> and um, I'm a part of that. I fall into that part as well, too, with my family. Um, there's always this nice t- you know, $5 table wine next to like a $45 bottle of wine. So um, he thought, why don't I develop a whiskey that can be for any occasion? Bring it to a family barbecue, put it in a cocktail, bring it to a really nice whiskey bar, and for any occasion, Star Wars could be there for that. So that was where our place fit in. Um, Melbourne, they'll tell you, everybody from Melbourne, that it's the f- food city capital of the world. I think that we can contend with that as well, being Chicagoans, but um, it is an awesome place. It's a very diverse, mixed-cultured society that has brought all these foods from across the world and then made Melbourne their home. So we kind of fit right in there. The cocktail scene has been growing there just like I has been growing in the United States over the last 15, 20 years. They're definitely a little bit behind in us, but um, not far at all. So what we wanted to do is make whiskey for the masses and have people enjoy, even if you're starting just drinking whiskey or if you've been drinking single malt whiskey for 25 years, we thought we could fit in there along your whiskey journey anywhere you are at and we could be a part of that. So this is twofold. It's actually, I've been rambling about single malt whiskey, but this is actually not a single malt whiskey. Um, it is our only non-single malt whiskey. We built this about five years ago. It is 40% malted barley, and then it is also married with a wheat whiskey. So it's a, both, the dist- both the grains are distilled separately, then mm-hmm. barrel aged separately in those red wine casks for three to four years. And then we marry together about 25 barrels, majority of it being weeded barrels, um, and then cut it down to 80, 80 proof to be bottled at. So it's 60% wheat, 40% malted barley. 
the interaction of it's really lovely. It's creamy. It's rich in a way. A um, little bit peppery taste to it mm. from, coming from the malted barley, but a lot of fruit notes to it. Tropical fruit notes, kind of like a Granny Smith apple note to it as well. If you let it waft in the air, you just kind of smell like a green apple orchard in there. Um, and we made this for Americans. We made this with the intent of coming over to a sell to sell whiskey in America. And obviously, we did bourbons become very popular over the last decade plus. Um, it's been really a standard with the Van Winkles making or using wheat, local wheat in Kentucky 90 plus years ago. And that's what Dave, our founder, wanted to do. He wanted to create a foundational whiskey that was completely Australian. And he's like, well, wheat is the second most readable grain in Australia. Americans like sweet tasting whiskeys. I love high we did bourbons. I'm speaking for him now. He's like, I love single malts. I started a single malt distillery. Why not combine those two and bring it into one whiskey bottle? So this is twofold, um, kind of our intro uh, whiskey. It's the lightest whiskey we have. It's also the only non, um, non-single malt that we produce too as a distillery. It's the, I think as well, it's the most economically priced, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> um, if you would like to go grab a bottle after you drink this delightful whiskey, it's only about $32. Yeah, so we uh, we are one of the Nova, which we're going to try next, um, is our core single malt, our workhorse, if you will, and that's one of the very few Australian single malts that sold for less than a hundred dollars AU back in Australia. What we wanted to do is really create whiskey for the masses, and with that um, comes price point. We only barrel age for three to four years because of the temperature, um, but we also lose a lot in the end. The, mm. That temperature causes us to lose about six to eight percent in evaporation, so our barrels are losing a lot of alcohol per content per year. Oof. Yeah, so if we barrel age for six, seven years, we're going to lose a lot of whiskey, which will drive up the price. But we also feel like the whiskey tastes the best after that three to four year maturation. Sometimes, if you let it barrel age a little bit too long, the oaky tannins kind of come into play. It begins over oaked and um, oaked, and then we could also have the potential of it turning into vinegar because we're with very live wine barrels so yeah um if we can move on the nova though what do you think no i think um for for everybody that's in the tasting um one thing you know just be wary of don't pour the whole one in there because what you might want to do is you might once you've had a little sip of one you might want to come back to it later i saw everybody just like firing the full thing into the glen cairn that's fantastic we have more baby <laughs> and we've got loads more so listen guys thursday's basically friday which is basically saturday okay so like we <laughs> i mean we are on the second class though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah this is only the second class of 12 let's go baby yeah. um but no one thing one thing I would say, um, one thing I would say about uh, this whiskey, and it's something that amazes me all the time, especially as we move on to the Nova. Mm. When you think about, or I, I presume you get this all the time, Jake. All the time. And you'll get it as well, Kyle. But when people think single malt, they think scotch, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm sure I won't steal your thunder, but in December there's going to be lots to talk about in American single malts. Oh yeah. But um, <laughs> thanks for that. Um, and but for me, when I before I was really into the whiskey world, when someone said single malt to me, I thought, oh, it's scotch, it's scotch, it's scotch. And the first time I tried the Nova especially, I was like, there's no way this is going to be as good as like a single malt scotch. And then you try and you're like, holy shit, it is. You know, I had to... And then we did a competition with 50 people <laughs> where we compared Avalar 12 to Nova. And, yeah, um, I mean, should have been the uh, Rematch this winter, by the way. Avalar 16's coming back, baby. Avalar 16. I'm going to put up Solero. Let's do it. They hear it here first. <laughs> They have, no idea. they have no idea what we're talking about. No, no, it's all good. Uh, Basically, we had a, an online competition, ladies and gentlemen, and I might have lost. It was person's. by a ball here as well, so it's all good. Our friends have a really great Instagram TV show called uh, Sunday Night Fights by Chris Blantner, the urban bourbonist here in Chicago, and then our good friend Mikey Pinstripes, who's down in New Orleans, 
who I say really good friend that we've never met, um, but we've all become very close virtually uh, over the last couple of years, and he's the Bourbon and Rye Club, and they do this thing called Sunday Night Fights. They put up two bottles, and they talk through it really well. Um, they're really well-versed in whiskey, and they'll have talk about the tasting notes, the nose, the finish, and everything, and they score it through three rounds. And we did Nova versus Abelauer 12 last Christmas. Um, yeah, so the Australians won... Yeah, they, they we were they still talk about it over there <laughs> in Australia. Yeah, yeah, they're obviously yeah. extremely bored then. Well, no. you know they are in lockdown. Uh, yeah, but um, we can move on to Nova, um, which is a great segue into that. So this is our core single malt, hundred uh, percent malted barley, barrel aged majority of Shiraz casts. So we use a lot of Shiraz barrels for our barrels um, for our barrel aging process because Shiraz is kind of what. Australian red wine is known for big, bold, red fruit flavors to it. Get those blackberry jammy flavors to it as well. Um, so we usually have about 25 barrels in a batch of whiskey and probably 15 of those casks are going to be extraized, run it out with some pinots and some cabs where majority of the barrels we use for uh, twofold are going to be Cabernet casks. A lot of, uh, well, probably the most famous vineyard we work with is Penfolds. If, I'm sure a lot of people have no Penfolds. Um, a lot of our single barrels, we use their cast to make uh, kind of make our whole single barrel program out of this. But this one's much more spicier, much more peppery. It's an 82 proof, but I think it drinks way higher that, especially because of the finish on it. It just keeps going and going. I get these really great strawberry vanilla swirls to it. Um, I, it's one of those whiskeys, too, that every time I have it, I find something new about it. And it was really what invited me to the brand. I, this is the first whiskey I ever had from Star Ward. Um, I met our owner at Whiskey Fest and or Whiskey Week in 2019, um, March 2019, and he presented me this bottle to taste. And I was like, wow, that's really good. We had a conversation. And an hour later, went to have a beer, and he offered me a job. And what are you doing back there? I was just oh, putting I the. Like you're gonna but like, I was going to say that is America written all over it, isn't right. it? Right. It's, it's a land of opportunity. Yeah. Oh, wow. Let's go. It's like we finished each other's. Sentences. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is uh, one of my favorite whiskeys that we produce uh, out there every day for $50 um, in most shops and then find it in for a pretty reasonable pour and an awesome delicious like for cocktails. If we can't make a really great Manhattan with a whiskey that's barrel aged in wine barrels, then we should probably just quit our business. So what I'm saying is it makes a really great Manhattan. Um, and it also makes a really great whiskey sour. Um, old fashioned, putting orange bitters in it, it really brings out those fruit flavors. Nice little note to it as well there. But Hope you're enjoying that. We can definitely have some people on um, to talk about it as we go through, but I don't want to take up all the time. So we'll move on to the last uh, whiskey from Star Wars, which is Solera, which is a very special whiskey. Um, it's an LTO, which means limited time offer, allocated whiskey that we have um, for us, which is also a single malt. So this is produced the exact same way that Nova is on a double pot still distillation and put into wine barrels. But the whole, di the whole difference about this one compared to Nova is that we barrel aged this in fortified red wine casks, which is Australian sherry. It's called a para for aperitif. And we rechar 100% of those casks. We're also working with different size casks. Majority of our barrels that we use at Star Ward are 59-gallon ga casks. Um, with Solera, what we'll do is we'll buy up these really old casks that are 50, 60 years old, break them down stave by stave, and then rebuild them up. And so we'll use, like, might have a two-year-old stave, a 60-year-old stave, all built into one barrel at the end of the day, but it's always recharred. And then we barrel aged for four years on this one. Um, and if you're familiar with the Solera wine method, and what Sherry's done in Spain, we kind of have a nod to that. We don't do the full pipe and gauge system going from top to bottom, from barrel to barrel. What we do is we have a giant vat where we mingle together 
uh, thousands of liters of whiskey of Solera at cast strength, where we usually have at least 2,500 liters of it um, mingling together from the very first batches of whiskey we ever produced to our newest ones that just got done finishing barrel aging for four years um, to everything in between. So you can technically taste micro traces of our very first batches of whiskey in the glass you have right now. Um, this is our very first release. We never um, sourced whiskey. We never bought whiskey from somewhere else. Um, Dave created Star Ward with the foundation that he believed in by making single malt whiskey, put into red wine barrels. And this was the very first release he ever had for our brand back in like 2011, I think, or so. Um, but yeah, so pretty special, pretty near and dear to us. Um, we only get about 110 cases of it a year. So that's just a little over 600 bottles a year to the U.S. We take about 20% out of the vat at a time. But whenever we take a, um, anything out, we punish it right away with new whiskey. So kind of a nod to Solera. That's why it's called, called Solera. It also fits our whole stargazing Solera si- or solar <laughs> system theme as our brand, too. Very pretty yeah, labels. You're a very pretty guy. Thank you, baby. Yep. <laughs> so um, let, I think show of hands, favorite on number one. Oh, yeah, the, the one person yeah, with their hand up like, over there. And you can shout out things. A, you can repeat a it. A man with taste. Podcast. Yeah. You're a cheap date. I like you. Oh. We're going out after, baby. yeah just so everybody knows if you came with your significant other and he's a man jake and i am taking him out on the town after this we've been known to hit on men we will we will hit on men i will do it now Uh, you know you know my coworker said in new york the other day she goes i don't know what kind of girls you're into but i know what kind of guys you're into you always always comment on good looking guys what can we say in my wife it's the 21st century baby um what about favorite on number two Oh, oh, oh right, a little bit right. more, a little bit more. And favorite on number three? There we go, about even with uh, So Solera the people number. with their hands up now, you don't take them out because they're the expensive bits, mm. okay? Mm, mm. How much does the Soleta retail for? About $70 retail, yes. So not cr- not crazy for how limited it is to offer over here. We only get about two shipments a year of it. Um, we just sold out of our warehouse, so it is at every Binnie's across the city right now. Yeah, so that's probably the easiest place to find it. They kind of buy up all of it, which they do with a lot of, a lot of brands that have limited time offers. You know, they like to be the ones that hold it all. So, um, yeah, it's probably the easiest place to find all three of our whiskeys. But we definitely work with a ton of independent retailers like Bottles and Cans down the street, Bitter Pops, all those great places um, here in Chicago too. So yeah, hmm. how do you feel? Good. Um, glad that I've started drinking. I feel like I'm, I feel it myself again. Much better. Can um, I ask a geeky question? Yes, please, Kim. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. That steam. Um, mm-hmm. process you talked is that common in whiskey production I don't know that I've yeah heard that. a lot of people what they do is they hydrate through water so they actually fill the barrels up with water um, it's kind of the same thing in a way so mm-hmm. nothing nothing too out of the ordinary it's more about just not toasting or recharring the casks um, STR which is shaved toasting and rechard it's a very popular method um, here in the whiskey industry now where it pulls out a lot of different spicier notes some more vanilla notes maple notes when you rechar casks um, what we didn't want to do is recreate something that's already been done all throughout the world so we decided to do that fresh fill um, which is kind of our own take on that and then through what we call elemental maturation of three years by using the climate of melbourne as our benefit of making whiskey um it just all kind of plays in it was definitely a, a gamble a risk when the distillery first began um 15 years ago or so but we've really honed in on paid off though yeah it has we, we, we have brewers at the front of our house that build all of our whiskey by distilling it and then the back of our house are all winemakers so they do all of our blending that way so they're always tasting and sensing it sen- using their sensory techniques to make sure that 
barrels are ready to go into a batch of whiskey. If we have one that's ready to go in at three years, we dump it right away. If we have one that should wait another six months or so, we're not afraid to do that too um, and have barrels that are barrel aging for five years, which is pretty limited for us and rare, but we uh, we definitely will do it if we need to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have a question from oh, the crowd. Oh, Kelly Nugagama. <laughs> do you think that Star Wars will ever come out with a age-taking Do we think, or do you think that Star Wars will ever come out with an age? Yeah, I think we kind of do with the single barrels. Um, you know, we have, t- kind of. Not as a core, though. We don't. Um, I... I think we will eventually. Yeah, I think it's not like out of the realm of possibility. Obviously, we just have like two years on the back of it because if you do have a barrel, that's two years. We have to put the youngest age statement on there. So um, I, I do think we will. We were, we're experimenting with a lot of stuff back in Australia. Um, some of that stuff that is coming to America next year, like the ginger beer cask. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's as good as it sounds as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never really thought about that way because I'm always so transparent about how I talk. So, and my bosses too. I don't know why we, yeah. I mean, it would be kind of nice to have like what um, Bardstown or Mythology has, how they actually have like the years and the mash bills on there. Um, that, that would be smart, I think, maybe. Yeah. I'll bring it up to the corporate. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Kelly. Yeah. Five points to you. We're going to take that to the board. Awesome. Um, awesome. What, I, well, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. So, so what are the mash bills on Star Wars? Just yeah. so that people can hear it. For Two, the, the twofold, um, 60% uh, wheat, 40% malted barley, and then both Nova and Solera, 100% malted barley. Yep. So uh, traditional single malts that way. Yep. Yeah. So should we pour yeah. whiskey number two? So that is uh, the end of Star Wars forever. No. No, just tonight. Just tonight. Just tonight. God. Whoa, 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 that was whoa. nearly really dramatic, whoa, Kyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> we were nearly all crying ourselves to sleep tonight. So yeah. Um, so yeah. I think we maybe while while we while we go for a wee switcheroo, I think we maybe pull someone from the crowd. Yeah, if anybody wants to come up and uh, ask any questions about Star Wars or any of the brands or anything in the whiskey industry, uh, we have open mics available if you want to do so. It's an open mic night tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, it's open mic night. Comedy or music? I will sing if no one comes up. Poetry readings. Trust me, you don't want that. Oh, I am interested if no one does want to come up um, to hear about Glenn Livett because we've never had anybody officially on the podcast, and we still haven't anybody officially on the podcast because mm. you are presenting for them tonight. I'm running the I'm running the Glenn Livett gauntlet tonight. Do you want to make an announcement how you're leaving Avalauer for Glenn Livett? <laughs> no, <laughs> I would never do that to my. I'm an Aber lover at heart. I just looked down. I'm like, did I push record? I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. And that's sober. Um, that's sober. Yeah, I suppose right this one's going to be a bit of a funny one, isn't it? Because we've never had the Glenlivet on, and I've never officially worked for them, right? Right. Um, but I've done a bunch of tastings, and obviously I've been to the distillery a hundred times. Um, Was there a brand ambassador named Kevin at one point for Glenlivet? Uh, maybe. Okay. I'm not, not 100% sure. Nowadays, there's three brand ambassadors across the US, Dominic Venegas, Robbie oh. Peso, and uh, Jenna Murray. So Jenna's in Chicago. So technically we did have a Glenlivet ambassador on with Dominic. Yes. Yeah. I mean, suppose so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a, this is super, super solid whiskey and I'll get a little bit more into the details when we get down there. But mm-hmm. one thing that I think that people are really going to notice with this, the, the, the difference in the barrels between the three of them is quite massive. So the Founders Reserve is a traditional barrel. So it's had scotch in it previously. Right. 
and then the twelve is probably the most probably the most iconic Scotch bottle in the world. Um, they changed it now, but back in the day, yeah, it was they cha- uh, we'll get into that as well. But mm. back in the day, they, they used to have a green bottle. I don't know if you remember that. The Glenlivet had the green, that kind of iconic green bottle. Um, and then this newer one, uh, I think they launched this in 2019, is the Caribbean cask. Yeah. Uh, and now that's obviously going to have a lot of um, that's going to have a that's going to have an interesting story to it, right? You know, obviously. Is it from Mexico? Uh, no, the Caribbean. They're all. I think they're all West Indies casks, right? But it's all from rum from the Caribbean. Um, and the curious thing about this is that you really, really do taste the rum, but it's only a rum finish. It's not actually. It's not the full maturation period in rum. Yeah, because there's a lot of whiskeys that are rum finished or rum barrel aged, and just way too overpowering. It's, it's too, too much. Sweet. It's too much. Yeah. So what they actually did with the Glenlivet was they. I think through trial and error. Um, and I'll get more onto this when we get there, but with the 14, they decided that they weren't going to completely age it okay. in um, the rum cask, and it's only a portion, it's only a proportion of the whiskey that's in that's finished in the rum cask. So, it, and it's really, really tasty. It's, it's one that's done really, really well for the Glenlivet mm. um, in recent years, so it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be nice to see what everybody thinks of it all. Kyle, do you drink a lot of single malts, even though you work for a single malt distillery? Honestly, yeah. Um, I find myself kind of reaching for them regardless, you know what I mean? And, and I feel like since I've been working with Westward and, you know, not being super familiar with, you know, American single malt as a category. Now I find myself, you know, touching bottles of everything, you know, Balcones, what a vast category to dive into. All of it. It's humongous now. Like every day I look like when I'm in Binnie's or wherever, and I I feel like there's a new bottle on the shelf. Yeah. Like it's it's insane. It's kind of been like the wild west, at least so far, because there hasn't been, you know, a whole lot of legal restrictions, you know, on what can and can't be done. So, you know, seeing what the category of you know single malt Mm -hmm. is as far as american single malt has been exciting and seeing what it grows into i think is that a discussion you guys have in westward like within about should we make the laws the regulations yeah um i think that that actually just passed there is now um the ttb kind of put through some legal requirements you know what i mean to be called American single malt right um, and it was exciting for us because I know we were hoping that that could kind of come about just to give the bre- give give the category a little bit more credibility mm-hmm. you know and you know I think it'll be good just to, to build across the board yeah because it seemed like a contentious um, bill or conversation within across America about like this do we want to have an actual foundation built on what American single malt has to be? Because the country is so vast and wide, where you guys making it up in Oregon is 100% different from what's happened at Balcones when they're making their single malt. Right. And like, which is fascinating, too, because it gives such like a diversity of barrels, such a diversity of whiskey to be made. And so many people, you can't pin down what American single malt is. Like, you right. can pin down what an Isla Scotch is. You can pin down, in a way, what a Highland or Speyside Scotch is. But when you try to define American single malt as one tight-knit category it's almost impossible yeah and i think that's you know i think there's positives on both sides of it you know what i mean now that there are the kind of qualifications that that need to be met um but i I honestly think overall i think this will be good for the category just to 
have more structure yeah. in place. Structure is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need you need that to. But I'm, I'm definitely gonna try to stash some bottles away. Some of the the older the older stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely, we'll get into the, that. But um, we the will more gun hole stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> we will now give time to uh, the Glenn Livett with the Abelauer Ambassador of Chicago slash United States of America, Graham Crickshanks. Next little human prodigy. Prodigy. Your prodigy. Oh, say cat. No, oh, wow, wow, wow. Um, Cal McDonald. Everybody stand for the national anthem. Um, we, we forgot that we, we forgot to have the national anthem. <laughs> we should have. It is God Veterans Day. Damn it. Um, the Scottish National Anthem, uh, Kelly Nakagama's asking... The three asking, lions are asking, the best. The three lions are the best. ...is asking what the Scottish National Anthem is. It's called The Flower of Scotland, and it, there's a whole verse dedicated to talking about how we beat the English in battle. It's fantastic. Um, it, it gives me chills. It actually gives me chills. It's the first song I ever learned on the piano. Uh, anyway, I'm going to get stuck into the Glen Levitt, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm very scared that we like take 14 hours to do right. all of these whiskeys. It took a little too much time. I'm sorry. No, don't worry about it. Um, so... Ladies and gents, this first one, um, or this, this whiskey that we're going to be tasting today uh, is the Glenlivet. Um, the Glenlivet means, or the word Glenlivet means the smooth flowing one. And it's something that you'll see a lot on their, on their communication with the whiskey. Mm. Uh, this, the, probably the most famous thing about the Glenlivet is it, is it was the first ever uh, legal distillery uh, in the Highlands of Scotland. It was established officially in 1824 mm. however the founder of the Glenlivet was actually um a little bit like the single malts of america in today's day the founder of the Glenlivet was running and gunning quite literally across the highlands of scotland um but long before that uh, and there's a very very uh, famous letter that the king actually sent to the the king of england sent to the north of scotland um before it was an official distillery oh britannia saying britannia, how <laughs> britannia rule the waves um thanks for that yeah you're um the so the king of the king of england actually sent um a letter to george smith before 1824 so before it was an official whiskey wow saying how much he loved the stuff so that was probably a little bit of the fact that the king of england was a drunk that got uh, whiskey <laughs> legalized in the north of scotland uh, and we've been paying taxes on it ever since hmm. um love those we're paying them higher here now <laughs> so essentially guys the three whiskeys that we've got today you've got the glenlivet founders reserve the glenlivet 12 year old and then the Glenlivet 14 year old, which is the Caribbean cask. Uh, and we'll get stuck into that as we go. But let's start, I think, from left to right. Is it the Founders Reserve first? 12 the 12 year first. So we'll start with the 12 year. So this is probably, the bottle has changed now, but the, uh, the Glenlivet 12 year old was probably the most iconic whiskey bottle of all time. It was a green bottle. And whenever you think of seeing uh, whiskey bottles in film and in, in TV series, it was always on Mad Men, things like that. Mm. If it's a green whiskey bottle, it was inevitably the Glenlivet 12 year old. Now, what happened was that it was so popular that they actually started to have some stock issues. In the United States of America, because you guys are the best of the best of the best, sir. Um, America. America. Um, it, never, it was never discontinued here. It was never an allocation. It was always just getting uh, pushed through. However... In other parts of the world, in Asia and Latin America, um, they actually stopped uh, selling the Glenlivet 12 for a while. So everybody was very, very upset. And that's where the, the Founders Reserve come in. Now, with the Glenlivet 12, guys, the first thing that you're going to get is that typical Speyside essence, right? When you talk about smoky whiskies and scotch, you're thinking about that sort of briny, the, the smoky, peaty flavor. When you think about Speyside, you're thinking about three things. 
rich flavors, floral flavors, and fruity flavors. And this one has a little bit of all three of those things. Okay, very, very easy drinking. Um, see it away, Tom, you're a good man. Uh, very, very easy drinking. And it's one of those whiskeys that I think, at the price point especially, this retails for around about like $38, $40, I think. Um, really, really, really well priced. Uh, especially for a 12-year-old whiskey, you know, it's one of it's one of those ones that you kind of have to have on your back bar. With the 12-year-old, okay, it's almost exclusively in, in Quercus Alba, which is white American oak. So you're going to get a lot more of that sort of vanillins flavor. You're going to get the vanillas, the honeys, you maybe get some light citrus flavor there. But the one that I really get with the Glenlivet 12, I get this kind of peppery spice as well, okay? Really, really easy, easy drinking whiskey. It makes some fantastic cocktails as well. If we ever get Jen on, finally, she can tell us about the, the amazing cocktails that she's made with, with, um, with the Glenlivet. Sometimes it's hard to have women come to your basement to record a podcast. Yes, yeah. this is true. This is true. Yeah. Especially when his wife's standing there going, mm-hmm, are you guys going to behave yourselves? Yeah. And we're like, no, sorry. Are you here for the podcast? <laughs> um, or the party in the basement. Um, we're here for the gangbang. <laughs> there's no gangbangs in the basement, guys, we promise. <laughs> It's an old school. It's an old take school. That, take, it's a, take it that where you will. It's an old school reference. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, moving on to the second whiskey, guys. Uh, this is the Glenlivet Founders Reserve. Um, now, I mentioned very, very briefly that the founder of the Glenlivet, uh, George Smith, was running and gunning. Um, and this this particular expression um, is from basically the the idea of making a whiskey that would be in. Uh, in the image of what the Glenlivet would have been like in the 1800s. Now, the cool thing about George Smith, and if you ever go to the Glenlivet distillery, the cool thing about George Smith was that he was quite literally running and gunning. He was, he had, there's two pistols that he carried with him on the whiskey trail in Scotland um, to fight off bandits and also to shoot the, the tax man occasionally, hmm. um, which I'm sure we would all do nowadays. Right. Um, also happened in America. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so... This is the one that was sort of made a, made in that image of what whiskey would have been like in Scotland in the 1800s. Um, this one has been cut down, though, so both of these are 80 proof. And the first thing that you're going to notice about the Founders Reserve is like a kind of pineapple nose. Mm. Um, where the Glenlivet 12-year-old had that kind of peppery spice to it and the citrus, maybe some vanilla. This one's going to be a lot more heavy on the citrus side. And for me as well, with the Founders Reserve, it's got this like really kind of um, like light, light mouthfeel to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very light on the palate, you know, compared to the 12. The 12's got that kind of oiliness that's going to happen with, you know, 12 years in a, in a battle. Um, the founders are a little bit younger. Uh, with, it's an age statement, but we can presume it's a little bit younger, especially because of the price point around there, like $25, $30. When did that come out? The Founders Reserve was launched in 2016, I think, oh. 2017. It was launched when I just got the job with Shiva, so it must have been about 2016, 2017. Um, but I, rem- I remember honestly when I first when we first launched this and I was in the Dominican Republic at the time oh. they have quite a lot of single malt drinkers um, and especially the sort of you know older businessmen and they'd been drinking the Glenlivet 12 since they ever first came like since they first visited America when they were 17 you know 40 years of it mm-hmm. 50 years of it and they were disgusted that the that yeah. Glenlivet was getting rid of the 12 you know right que cazzo and then basically... Kind of like, kind of like the Maker's 46. But I, mean, I don't know if the level of disgust was quite that high. Oh, wow. wow, wow. <laughs> um, but they, they were absolutely disgusted that the, that the 12 was gone. 
And then they were even more disgusted that we brought in this one called the Founders Reserve or El Founder, as they say in the DR. Um, but then they tried it and they were obsessed with it, you know, because huh. it does have that lovely lightness to it. It's very, very easy drinking. And I think it actually suits cocktail making a lot more than the 12. The 12 has that kind of thick oiliness to it, whereas the, the Founders doesn't. Miss Kelly had a great question. Uh, what are the barrels it's aged in? So the Founders is, curiously, the Founders is um, traditional. So like ex, ex mm. cast that have had scotch in them previously. So second fill scotch. Interesting. Cast, which is kind of cool. Second right? fill from the distillery or from various distilleries? So from various distilleries. Okay. Yeah, from various distilleries. I mean, one thing that, and I'll talk a little bit more to this when we talk about um, Aberlauer, um, but one thing that you really need to hone in on when we talk about single malt scotch, and in fact, any anything that's aged in a Quercus Alba or white American oak, mm. is that just because it's white American oak doesn't mean that it's ex-bourbon. So the dis- obviously the there's a lot there's loads of whiskey out here in the United States and it's not all bourbon, all right. But I think what but people get confused with is sometimes Scotch whiskey say, oh, we've matured it in Quercus Alba, and people immediately assume that those barrels have had bourbon in them. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case. Sometimes it could be a rye or it could be a straight whiskey or whatever it might be, right. you know. Right. Um, Especially the category is growing. Yeah. Every and, day. And, and so soon we might even be soon in Scotch, you might even be maturing single malts that have in, in barrels that have had American single malts in them. Okay. You know, so it just, would they it, use not to go back to star Wars, but they, would they use those casts ever if they're American Oak? I would, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Can we get Graham on the phone? Yeah, uh, we could call Graham. Right. It's currently, what time is it? Eight o'clock. It's only three in the morning in yeah. Scotland. So we could call he'd him. answer for me. Yeah. He'd, 100%. <laughs> Alan Clark did. Um, <laughs> Uh, long, that's a bit of a throwback yeah. um, we were chatting about that before the podcast <laughs> so essentially that would be my one Wait, thing is he no, dead? Um, not yet Oh. <laughs> that, uh, so that would be my one thing ladies and gents like when you're when you're looking at these barrels and when you're talking about <laughs> yeah. um, when you're talking about these barrels and you're talking about scotch especially there's a real distinguished uh, you know you have to kind of distinguish between the two if it's if it's ex-American or if it's ex-bourbon, right? Because the flavor will be quite different as well. Because if a rye is sat in a barrel for three years in the heat out here in the United States versus a bourbon, the wood will have absorbed a lot of a, like a much, much different flavor from the whiskey. You know? Right. Are um, these two sippers in Scotland that are very sought after or bought every day? Uh, I think the Glenlivet, honestly, is, I think it's the, I think the most recent figure is that's the second biggest single malt on the planet behind Glen, uh, Glenfiddich. I think Glenfiddich's 1.3 million cases and Glenlivet's 1.25. Majority of sales internationally, though? So the Glenlivet is the biggest um, single malt in the United States by volume. Yeah, it for, is. For yeah, Scotch. Yeah, so, it is. Um, so, but honestly, this one is so, this is one that you would sip in Scotland and it's one that I know is growing rapidly in Asia, so much so that they've mm. had... Over the last 10 years, they've renovated the Glenlivet Distillery several times. I think they're operating 15 stills now. Jeez. Which wow. is insane. That's a lot of whiskey. We have two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. <laughs> so does our Come on, guys. Um, so moving on, ladies and gents, to this last whiskey, uh, which is super interesting. This is the, uh, the Glenlivet, the Caribbean cask, or is, I think it's the Caribbean Reserve. Caribbean Reserve. The Caribbean Reserve. So established, obviously... Uh, the the whiskey um, or the f- whiskey was founded in 1824, and back then rum casks were not something that Scotch the, the Scotch industry was thinking about. Mm. Um, back in the early 2010s, Balvenie, um, which is just down the road from the Glenlivet in Speyside, Balvenie launched their 14 year old, which was a Caribbean cask. 
Um, and to say that it was a boom would be an understatement. You know, I think they were projected to sell 5,000 cases of the stuff and they blew that out of the water the first year. And it's been something that I think all single malts have had their eyes on, you yeah. know, for the last few years. Because well, now it's, that's even growing into American whiskeys, yeah. rye and bourbon. So I know as well that as we started to look, as the prices of American oak and especially Quercus Rober, European oak, started to rise, um, Scotch started to look at things like Quercus Petraea, which is English oak, right? Or, and they also started to look a further afield at tequila. Like, so aging scotch that had previously be, or aging scotch in barrels that had previously held tequilas in them and then obviously the the most obvious place to go was rum um balveni used uh, rum exclusively from the west indies uh, and it was a really really interesting process that they did they put the rum into the uh, the rum in the rum barrel obviously the scotch in the scotch barrel and then they swapped them mm-hmm. before swapping them back um, so that was the finished process, right? Which was super cool. The Glenlivet's done something a little bit different. Um, and we talked a little bit about this briefly, but the strength of rum, if anyone's a big rum drinker, you know, if you drink Guatemalan rum, you go to Zacapa 23, right? It tastes like a coffee liqueur. It's very, very, very high in sugar content, obviously because it's made from sugar cane. Um, and what that'll mean for scotch and, and any whiskey really, because it's a little bit more of a delicate flavor, less sweet, is that when it sits in the rum cask, it will absorb a lot of that flavor and that sweetness will come to the whiskey. Mm. Um, so with the Glenlivet, the Caribbean Reserve, it's just a portion of this whiskey that has been finished in rum casks. Do you know how long? Um, no, unfortunately not. Um, if only I was the Glenlivet ambassador. Probably if only. <laughs> Should we call Jenna? No, stop bringing other people in and oh, okay. stealing my thunder. Okay. No. Okay. okay. Um, we could call Jenna. She would definitely know. But um, I would presume I presume anywhere, you know, typical finish, anywhere from yeah. six to 12 months, maybe. I, I would, I, yeah, I would say on the lesser end. It, yeah, it's, maybe. It's one of the most desirable um, rum finish or anything rum barrel aging whiskeys I've had where it's not overpowering whatsoever. It's sweet and balanced, but you get those cane notes towards the back end um, after you let it linger there after the sip is finished, but really nicely done. I, 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 not to throw any names out, but Basil Hayden. Um, <laughs> they're a Caribbean cast. I just, I, I can't, I can't. Like, you're already adding a bourbon or a, even a sweet rye when they have it the rye uh, mm. to a very sweet barrel. And it just brings out too many familiar notes and overwhelming notes. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the, a lot of scotches have, have experimented with rum barrels, but I know that because they're so strong, mm-hmm. if the whiskey isn't robust enough to stand up to it, then it goes into the rum barrel and it disappears. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the flavor of it will disappear. So that's why I think that not as many scotches as we as we think have done the rum barrel. Now, you contrast that with um, Buchanan's who've done the tequila barrel, right? right? right. Tequila is a lot less powerful as far as flavor goes it's a lot less sweet at least than yeah. than the rum so uh, a, a whiskey like a blended whiskey like buchanan's that maybe isn't as robust as a single malt mm-hmm. can stand up and you can use the tequila right, right. because then it, the the two complement the two uh complement each other whereas you know i think with the rum you'd need to go with a, a whiskey that or a single malt at least that could 100% multi barley so that it could stand up flavor wise to the rum coming in. Yeah, know? and then, like with this one too, it's about being an everyday drinker, something that's on the shelf, something that's been found versus doing a gimmick. Yeah, and I think one of the cool things now, like drinking it again, I've drank it a bunch of times and I always sort of think the same thing. It's like a really, it's a really good session whiskey, I feel. Like yeah. it's not too sweet, right? Definitely. So I feel like you could get after it a little bit. Not that we're going to do that tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Like I said, Thursday's basically Friday, basically Saturday, okay? Never, but we're taking never. it easy. Never, never. No, it's really, really tasty. 
Um, any favorites out there so far of these uh, three from the Glenlivet? Hands up for number one, the 12, the old school number. Oh, Ooh, there's a, oh, oh, there's a oh, couple out there. Oh. The slow hand beats the... No, anyway. Um, what about number two? Oh, oh, a lot of favorites there. So this is insane, right? This is the most economically priced the Founders mm. Reserve. And as I said before, when I was living in the Dominican and we start, first started launching this, this product, people were like, I don't want to drink that. I want the Aberlour. I want the, not the Aberlour. Oh, God. I want oh the no. Glenlivet. Oh, oh no. God. We've crossed I'll brands. I'll see myself out. We've crossed pollinated brands. Um, I want the Glenlivet 12. I want the Glenlivet 12. But then as soon as they tasted the Founders Reserve, they were obsessed with it. And... It's cheap as chips. It's super, super economic though. Oh, I think it's I think it's 25, 30 bucks a bottle. Well, that's a liter bottle, so it's probably 35 for that. Yeah, it's great honey, citrusy notes to it. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh. Um, and then any any favorites on number three, the Caribbean cask? Yeah. Just one. Just one. Just I'm Megan. Caribbean. Just Megan. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Anything rum, we got to get it in us. Um, I so, want to drink a bottle of rum in yeah. 20 minutes. If you've ever drunk a bottle of rum in 20 minutes, I don't think you would have seen the light of day after that for much longer. That was fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I spewed it up. Yeah. If I no, made. actually, I didn't. I did not throw up. What? Yeah. I did eat a loaf of bread, but, you know. You ate a loaf of bread? Maybe. After the bottle of rum? Maybe. Wow, there's, there's a breakfast for you. I also felt, I also fell out of Talk my... Talk about ladies who lunch. <laughs> I also fell out of my bed. That night, a classic, and then decided to go walk into my uh, roommate's bedroom and sleep in his bed because that made, more, that made sense. We do know your type. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about yourself, man? What are you thinking about these? Uh, I've been thinking about this the whole time when you. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I've been thinking about the whole time when you brought out the uh, Caribbean cast. I had that. That was in my one of my first kind of COVIDy outings mm. uh, on the patio here. Some friends I hadn't seen, and we. It's my birthday. It's January, and we're freezing out there, all bundled up with the fire. And we cashed an entire bottle of that. We were like, we were just gonna take a sip, and we we're like, oh, this is pretty good. And then it got very good. Um, well, that's, that's what kind of yeah. operation are we running here? <laughs> Jeez, all right. Yeah, uh, I had a question kind of, yeah. about what you guys were talking about earlier. You and Kyle were talking about what's your um, name, by the way? Sorry, Kabari. Kabari, nice to meet yeah. you. When you were talking about um, kind of refining what an American single malt is, mm. uh, do you think that that is completely a positive direction to go because i think when i think about that i think about like you know with wines and docs like how strict will it be and do we still have room for creativity in american wines if you if you make this so i guess what are your takes on that go ahead i mean me personally i think that there will be some of the creativity will will be missed at least by me um but i think having more structure will allow the category to kind of grow a little bit faster at least i hope um but i mean it's honestly really early to tell and i'm not very good at forecasting so <laughs> you know i'm i'm excited to see you know and watch how it plays out you know um see what these distilleries continue to put out you know how do they find ways to create variants within you know the the box because i think that can also drive creativity as well right that's right. a great way you can't to put it think in. outside the box unless you have a box right and like, oh. I, I think it, I, I think about back there's to your tagline <laughs> i like that a lot i love that i love that yeah I, I hear a lot of artists they'll talk about how they want constraints when they're hired to do a work because if someone says here's a giant wall and go paint something for me but you don't say well what do you like as a client do you like animals do you like landscapes do you like skylines whatever it may be without putting any constraints in there maybe even just as a color palette you wanted to choose you can go so outside of the box that it turns really into nothing but it's a lot of work to be done yeah 
And I think that's a really great po- great spot where American single malts can fit in and find their stride. And I don't think it's going to stop there. We've talked about it a lot in the podcast with a lot of brand reps and people from the industry how we can potentially be like Scotland where we can have regional whiskey. You know, it's a, where you can have a Northeast whiskey um, defined. You can have East Coast whiskey defined, Maryland rye defined, because there's so much advantage out there with all of these distilleries growing on a daily basis, or at least a yearly basis right now. Um, and ones that, you know, we kind of thought, is there a potential for these uh, distilleries to disappear because of COVID? But a lot of them that ended up surviving, and which is a great thing, you know. Like, it's I, a beautiful it, thing. Yeah, no, because it was very, very contentious there. At I one feel point. like we were all kind of like holding our butts for a yeah, little even, bit. Even the good ones, you know, like all of a sudden you're making hand sanitizer for like six, seven weeks, and then you're have this backlog of hand sanitizer because you know we were lied to by mass chain co- corporations. <laughs> I was just talking to uh, the guys from um, Mississippi Road or uh, Cody Road Distillery over in Iowa, and they're talking about how they still have tons and tons of hand sanitizer sitting around because they wanted to help out their community, but they guess they, they didn't forecast right. Yeah, but who could, <laughs> but who could who could have in that situation? But that's a great good, good question about um, confining, if you will, uh, American single malts. But I think it's I think it's still a lot uh, a lot out there because there's so many great ones, and it's popping up more and more. Like we were talking before, having such a diverse region of single malts in America, we're making it in uh, in Oregon, we're making it over in Seattle with Westland, what they're doing, going to, over to Colorado as you mentioned, like Leopold Brothers and Stranahan's making these awesome single malts. Like Blue Peak as a single malt is amazing. Like, so there's good. Sol- there's Solaris single so malt. Good. And it's forty two dollars. You're like. What? Like, how do we? How does it sell for twenty-two dollars? Speaking of American single malts, yeah, you're up, baby. Kyle, oh, you is are. It, is it me? You're up. All so, right, sick. Have, are we all poured with Westward over there? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. Well, um, if I may introduce you real quick, again, Please. or just the brand itself. I've been a big fan of this brand for a long time. Um, there was once a joke between. Jordan and I, uh, that are distill our owners of the distillery, or I should say founders, not owners, because it makes it sound weird. Um, we're going to trade him and Jordan and I because he's Australian working for an American single malt, and I'm American <laughs> yeah. working for Australian single malt. Um, but that never happened, unfortunately. But uh, do might drink. Might be quite lucrative for you. It might be. It'd be easier to get to the distillery. Oh, 100%. Less, less flying time, but big fan of them. We are actually drinking um, just the rest Westward single malt on two podcasts ago with Geo. <laughs> Oh, my main man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm Shout glad. out to Gio. Just studies pop up, right? So right. that's cool. Killer, uh, Killer, Killer Club. Club. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, the pictures were amazing he sent me. Um, everyone, follow that on Instagram. More things will be happening very soon here um, with Killer Club. But, Kyle, we'll let you take it away about Westward. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's been so long since I've, like, talked about the brand publicly. Yeah. Like, in front of, like, actual yeah. people. This feels like... <laughs> hella weird have you been doing uh, it virtually the whole time oh my god yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's should it's, we all go into a different room and give you a computer? and it's wild because it's like when i first got hired for the brand was literally right before covid hit so my entire job description was like swapped and they're like okay well now you're gonna do virtual everything and i was like okay sick and i like put up all these lights my roommate at the time was a photographer so i had like a pretty dope nice. setup yeah, honestly yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, now like getting back to like talking to people and, and being in person, I just find myself like, all right, I remember how to do this. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Even so, though I bartend every day and I'm like, you know. Is this your first in-person event? Um, This is probably my third. Okay. But 
I don't know. I feel like I would have expected to do more. Right. And, and you know, since since we've kind of been back, but at the same time, it is slow we, going. We and can help you out kind of has that. different paces, we'll say. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Definitely. Well, for everybody in the room, we are moving on to Westward now. Um, We're getting people cheating you already. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll just go ahead and talk about that and talk about the individual whiskeys and see where it goes from there. Yeah, I mean... I guess to get started, American or Westward is an American single malt. It's based out of Portland, Oregon, and um, it, it kind of had a cool story, I guess. Um, our, our founder, his name is Christian. Uh, he was kind of set on, you know, making a really beautiful single malt because he was just kind of in love with scotch, you know, from all of his trips to Scotland. I mean, how could you not? you know, fall in love with, with scotch as a, as a product, as a category, as... Give me five minutes with him and I'll tu- Juice. I promise I'll turn him off scotch. <laughs> it's true. But I've seen it happen before. <laughs> I've done it many a time, man. Maybe I, less than five minutes. I don't want to doubt you. Tell him I'll give him the worst five minutes of his life. <laughs> I think it's more to do with, though, like, girls that think they're attracted to a Scottish accent and they talk to you for five minutes. And then they're like, fucking hell, not that. Oh, I thought That's it was English. <laughs> well. <laughs> but, um... But um, so yeah, he he kind of set out to create something that was akin to you know what what he had kind of fell in love with in in Scotland, but also something different, you know, because the people who have been making Scotch have been making it forever, and you know, they got it right, you know. So there's there's not really a whole lot to be gained from you know trying to do it better than them. Right. It goes back um, to Star Wars. Why why do something that's already been done? Exactly. Yeah. Um. So he kind of decided to go a different direction uh, with us being based out of Portland and having the craft beer culture that lives in Portland. You know, it's, it's not like how in Kentucky you just, there's a distiller on every corner. Um, but in Portland, there's a brewer <laughs> on every corner. Um, and since the first part of making whiskey is basically brewing an unhopped beer, they decided to really kind of lean into that, you know, into the Portland culture, into the brewing culture, um, and, and kind of let that be the step that, that drives the, the creative process. Um, you know, he wanted to brew the best beer he could make and then make a whiskey out of that beer. Mm. Um, so the, the big kind of things that, that'll set us apart, obviously it's a single malt, so it's hundred percent malted barley. Um, but in kind of catering to the American palate that loves beer, scotch and bourbon, you know, we kind of have these adjacencies to those things. Uh, you know, it's brewed like a beer. Mm-hmm. It's distilled like a scotch, but it's aged like a bourbon. Mm. You know, we do uh, New American Oak. It's like a light char. The sweet spot's probably three and a half to four years, but nice. the full build is anywhere from three to six. Is it all matured up, up in Portland? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, cool. it's all aged in Portland. Um, Everything is kind of done in Portland. You know, they kind of, similar to, to Starward, yeah. you know, they, they really want to showcase the Pacific Northwest, you mm-hmm. know, so all of the, the grain comes from the Pacific Northwest or the barley per se. Um, and, and it turns out to be a really beautiful beverage. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. I've, had a, I've had many nights out with Miles, so... Oh, um, Miles. Yeah. yeah. Just, is it head oh, distiller now? Is that his official term? Yeah, he's... Title? He's... He's been doing his share of virtual stuff too. And, oh yeah, and man, all over. You know, he just loves that. So, so 
So Kyle, what have we what what have we got then today? What has everybody got in front of them? Well, basically, we got we got three different expressions. We'll say uh, the first, which is is the flagship. You know, it is the you know Westward uh, American single malt, and honestly, that one's my favorite of of the three. You know, it, it has that big multi backbone. Um, there is a little bit of residual sweetness, um, but it's not you know cloying. It doesn't you know sit on the palate for too long. Um, and it's also really bright at the same time. You know, you get these pops of like cantaloupe and, and fig. And it's, it, it's weird because it kind of takes you from like, oh, it's like cereal. It almost is like grape nuts. But then it's like with cantaloupe. <laughs> um, it's a healthy breakfast. Yeah. You know, it's hey, be some whiskey for breakfast. Yeah. That's for sure. So it, it's always kind of been my favorite because it's super dynamic. Um, but we also have the stout cask and the Pinot Noir cask as yeah. well. Yeah, those are super cool. Um, I guess the, the, the easiest pivot would be the, the stout cask. Um, That's what I've got. You know, it, it just makes Late. sense for us to do these finishes based off of, you know, where we operate. Um, so with the stout cask, I think our biggest partner is Deschutes. Um, and they have their imperial stout, which is aged in westward barrels. We get those, I think they age for a year, I think. Okay. But we get those barrels back, and then we refill them with um, three-year-old whiskey for another year. Okay. So this does pretty much even out to four years. Uh, it sits in a year in that stout seasoned barrel, um, and it comes out beautifully. It's, you know, when I first had it, I was expecting something a little sweeter. Yeah. Um, but this actually dries out pretty nicely and you still get the cocoa nibs the dark chocolate tell me what you think well <laughs> we definitely need to get you on the podcast more because right. like we are always like because we hang out all the time we taste whiskey all the time we're always using the same adjectives mm. but man we have had some crackers already like <laughs> cocoa nibs grape nut <laughs> yeah bro and cantaloupe I'm like, it's, it's lit out here. <laughs> <laughs> we out here. <laughs> we sold another whiskey brand. We, we out here, man. Oh, I no. no, I, I love this one, too, because it really brings together what's been happening in Oregon for the last 25 years when it mm. comes to alcohol. You have distilling, you have brewing, you have everything about it, and it's all localized that way. Yeah. And then no, when I found out it was the shoots, I was like, that's the perfect pairing. Like, why not? They make great stouts. Yeah. It's a very well-known distillery um, or brewery. Even I think in the area where, because it's what town is it in? The shoots. Uh, Bend. Bend. Yeah. I think. Isn't there like, like, there's some crazy amount of proportionally from the population. Like, for every brewery, there's like a hundred people or something like yeah. that. It's ridiculous that area. It's so, like a farmer's market of pretty much brewing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> really, really amazing because you know I grew up when I was a little bit younger. I say a little bit younger, like ten years younger. Um, I drank a lot of the Jameson cask mates and mm. Jameson stout and stuff like that. Mm. This is this is a lot softer than like it's not as the Jameson one is like very much like a mm. you get a lot of the beer there. Yeah, but that and I feel sometimes it's overpowering. Whereas this is like it's, it's just a tint. Yeah, right. it just it's just like it's almost like you remember mm. that there was a bit of beer there, but not you know what I mean. It's really yeah. really nice. And flavor. single malts give you a lot of chocolatey notes a lot sometimes. And this one you could be like. There's no, there's no beer in there. There's no beer bar barrel in there whatsoever because mm. you made the way you barrel aged it in certain oak. Um, how long was barrel aged for? Roasted the malt or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And you're like, but then you put it, you figure it out. Oh, this is a completely organ whiskey and a single malt whiskey. My favorite. Um, and then talk to us a little bit about the Pinot Noir because I think that that 
seeing Pinot Noir on a whiskey bottle is super cool. Yeah, well, right. Like, I mean, that, that draws people the, in. The nose is just beautiful. I've I've never had this one. I mean, Pinot Noir. Um, so like, yes, you can have the Pinot Noir. But Thank our brands, uh, Star Ward and Red, uh, Westward and Star Ward. Easily confused, obviously, but just mm. saying that. Um, we also used to use the same sales force, too, where, fortunately, we got to do a lot of work together. Um, so our brands have hung out together a lot. Um, I drink your standard single malt so many times. The uh, stout is always at my home bar. And this one is the one I haven't had. It's, it's diluted me till now. So yeah, nosing it for the last, like, five minutes, I've just been falling in love with it. Hell, yeah. I mean, it's it's new to market in Chicago. You're awesome, Kelly. Um, so, you know, we're just really excited Hi, to Alex. be able to kind of push it and promote it and, and, you know, get the juice to people's lips because it kind of speaks for itself. Um, you know, Willamette Valley, which is, you know, where we're doing the damn thing. Yeah. It's almost, duh, That's Pinot Noir. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> we need you on board, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. You're a totally different cadence from us, and it's fantastic to sweat. You're, we bet. you're invited to the basement party anytime you want. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you want to come down to the basement and hang yeah. out with us, man. We're in. Which is not a here for the gangbang. Gang no, no. <laughs> uh, not here for the gangbang. Uh, are you? Um, but I think, like, I just admit, like, I think, great point there, you know, Getting, getting it on, like once you taste this, right? Getting it people's lips is the hard part, right? Mm. I think a lot of people, and that's one of the beauties of American single malt now. I think people are going to be open to experimentation. Oh yeah. Because it's a brand new category basically, right? Mm. And once that box is there that you were talking about earlier, then it'll be easier to kind of push people towards this and say like, oh, well, why don't you try something completely different? Pinot Noir cask. Mm. Yeah, so the, I think the question was uh, the peanut gallery. <laughs> can can Kyle tell Kelly Nakagama twenty five points to Kelly now on top of the leaderboard? Points. She is winning um, Squid Game. Can Kyle tell her what winery that Westward is working with? I know we work with uh, a couple of partners um, just in the region. I think the the big one that we have been partnering with a lot lately is Bergstrom, mm. and there's another one that I'm forgetting. It has a really cool name. And I'll probably remember it some, at some point, and then I'll just like we'll put it. We'll put it in the episode notes. Yeah, we we'll put yeah. it in the notes. Come on, or we'll edit. No worries. It I'll try my best to do an impression of you, Kyle. But hey, guys, was that always the intent to <laughs> kind of bring in everything outside of Oregon into the bottle? Um, I mean, yeah, it it. I think they're trying to showcase the region. You know, we we did a rebrand pretty recently. Uh, we got a brand new bottle. Um, and and even that, you know, is just kind of dialed into the regionality of. Portland, you know, right. and just the Pacific Northwest, you know, more than just Portland. Right. You know, you got these weird little angles on the bottle that kind of represent the mountain range and, you know, the peaks and valleys. And it it all just kind of I hate to use the word terroir just because I feel like that's like a thing now. Right. Especially when it comes to, to whiskey. But yeah, that's that's kind of it. I agree. Like your old bottles, they're fine. Yeah, they, they were on the shelf. But these are great. They, uh, no, when I saw the rebranding, I immediately messaged Jordan. I'm like, you guys just nailed, nailed this one. Nailed this yeah. one. This is such a beautiful bottle. Like you said, the peaks that are on top of it, the shape of it's always like ever growing, pointing up. And like there's a lot of uh, maybe earlier aughts, there was a lot of use of arrows in Portland for graphic design and things like that. So mm. it all kind of fits into there. The color scheme when you have the maroon with the Pinot Noir. You have more of that darker gray, um, almost like a clay kind of color to it with a stout cast resembling you know, something dark as right. an imperial stout. And then with the blue, the blue peaks, the rivers, yeah. everything about that, the ocean on, uh, just two hours away, totally represents Oregon right there all over the bottles. 
And quick question from me, retail costs and proof. Proof, so the flagship is gonna be proofed out at 90 proof. Um, that is, I believe, 60 bucks at, you know, Benny's mm-hmm. or wherever you can get it. But Benny's Warehouse has it. Right? Yeah. Garfield's. You guys are foremost, growing national distribution too, right? We are getting there. Yeah. Um, we're not distributed nationally yet. I believe we're in 20 states. We're in 20, so let's, let's, let's call it 20. Let's call yeah. it 20. But um, the other two, the Stout Cask and the Pinot Cask, are at 91 proof, 92 proof. Um, yeah, so those ones are eighty bucks a bottle. Um, Ninety for the Pinot. Yeah. Le Pinot. The Pinot. Le Pinot Noir. Yeah. And uh, ninety, like you said ninety-two for stout. Yeah, but uh, the Pinot Noir is like my favorite to kind of play around <sighs> with cocktails, honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, just because it has that weird, almost cognac adjacency yeah. because of of the. The, the so funny. Um, the whiskey we, couple in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whiskey couple, speak some more. More um, points. <laughs> come on the podcast anytime. Uh, so, what, yeah, come up to the microphones. Come on. Don't in the basement, them. though. Yeah, in the basement. <laughs> for the for the gang gang. Kelly just said that she's been on the podcast three times and never been in the basement. Don't worry, Kelly, it's coming. Well, because we, um, we used to record at a cool bar. Thanks for bringing yeah, that well, up, well, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, we used to have a really cool bar that we record at every week and it's no longer there. Um, one thing, uh, so Jake did some work um, with King of Cups and with Danny mm-hmm. and they had a red wine bitters. And all I'm thinking about is having a cocktail yeah. with like with those two. Speaking of Danny, I was thinking something banana flavored to add in of there. Of course. Yeah, I mean, all, that's... Yeah. Touch a banana. Touch a banana for Danny. <laughs> all day time. long. Oh, that Pinot right there. Being delicious. So let's look to the room. Yes. Um, let's Shall hear we? from the room, ladies and gentlemen. Who, wh- whose favorite was the core, the American single malt from Westward? Mm, no way. Oh, Kyle. Oh, Kyle's, Kyle. Kyle's like, represent. <laughs> gang, gang. Uh, <laughs> gang, bang. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. We've, just, we've said it so many times. We've, we've, so we've many bastardized Birch Road. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Birch Road is like, Birch Road is like, okay, take their pictures and put them on the windows. Yeah. They're never coming back. <laughs> These guys. Um, what about uh, number two with the stout cask? Oh, sorry. Oh, was number two the Pinot? Okay, favorite on the Pinot. Yeah, oh wow! My Crowd favorite right there. Wow, that's yeah. a, that's a, a, a clean sweep. And then on the stout cask, anyone? And for everyone listening, we have about 200 people in the audience. So, uh, yeah. You only counted two? A hundred. Trying to keep them stopping from chanting our names has been really hard. I, I, before we did the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, for anyone listening at home, um, I did the Freddie Mercury voice uh, warm up that he did uh, at Live Aid, and it was fantastic. It was, it mattered it, didn't did it? Did you? <laughs> Let me do it now. I missed that. Let me do it now. I'm sorry that I missed that. Yeah, oh, I mean, exactly. there might be more exactly. people here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, Kyle, thanks a lot. This is so awesome. Yeah, I'm glad we got to actually talk about these brands with somebody who works for them versus me just kind of talking about them as an American single malt fan as a Westward fan, too. So, Hell yeah. Um, any last words to say on Westward? Well, um, question. Question. I want to bring back the reference to something happening in December related to yeah. American single malts. Can we address that? <laughs> no, I think I think it was just the regulations, right? Like yeah. bringing in yeah. these new regulations. Um, I was just talking about that, but uh, 
one are they? Well, yeah. So they're basically well, I'll, I'll, Kyle, I'll let you speak to them. No, you. So no, they're basically up until this point, that has been the Wild West in American single malts. Yep. And so, for example, in single malt Scotch, you know, for it to be called a Scotch, it has to be aged for a minimum of three years in an oak barrel. It can only have three ingredients: a grain, yeast, water, um, and it must be the whole process must be in Scotland, except from bottling. And so they're going to bring in a bunch of rules for American single malt similar to that so that there's a clear definition and so that every time that you buy us an American single malt, you know that it adheres to these this criteria and you can be confident in that it's going to have a high quality flavor and it's a high quality bottle. Yeah, it's been, it's been a, what, decade probably in the yeah, works? I think so. Yeah, and it's been a, it's a really interesting concept of if that will kind of take away from the creativity as we talked about here um, from the distilleries, but then also about how the individual terroir or the individual regions that can kind of speak out and make their, make their whiskey stand out because obviously every grain, wherever it's grown, wherever it's produced, however it's distilled at individual distilleries will bring out a different uh, quality, different flavor in the whiskey. But um, I, think most, I think most American single malt distilleries are pretty happy about it. Yeah, I mean... Th- from what I have heard, you know, in my little bit of mingling with the homies, right. uh, you know, it, it's it's gotten positive feedback from, you know, within the industry. Um, as far as what it yields, we'll see. Yeah. Um, but but I, I think I, I think it'll be good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. This is already what Kyle said. Like, as soon as you just mentioned there was a rule, I'm already doing the American thing. Like, I just want to break it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the American standard right there, breaking the rules. Um, can you, as Callum was pouring uh, the Avalauer, can you talk about a little about your single barrels? Single barrels? Yeah. Whew. Yeah. Sorry, I had a burp. Because <laughs> I love your single barrels. Mm. I've heard some like crazy stories about guys sleeping in the distillery with their barrel, <laughs> um, all that good stuff. But single barrels are kind of the craze right now. But I don't think the first thought when people think of single barrels is single malt or American single malt. Right. Yeah. I mean. We've got some cool ones, um, and we've got some kind of one-off cask finishes that, that we're able to do. Um, we've got a cool partnership that I, I hope will see the light of day soon. Um, we work with, Cal was talking about Guatemalan rum yeah. uh, earlier. We, we partner with a family down in Guatemala. They own a uh, sugar mill, okay. and they started creating rum. And it's funny, since Zacapa kind of has a monopoly on, you know, Guatemalan rum, they can't age it in Guatemala. So we're working with them, and we're aging their rum at our distillery, or at our, at our uh, rickhouse in, in Portland. Um, and that also gives us the benefit of doing some cool rum cast finishes. Um, and I've, I've tried a couple of them, and I'm very excited for, for the public to to get a taste it is wildly delicious so are you taking four-year core single malt and then putting it in there for like yeah six months, so it's so. it's been three year three year single malt uh and and we sit it in the rum barrels for about a year that's kind of like the standard is, yeah, yeah, yeah. is about a year yeah um and it is wild do you ever have to I've use got like, like a heating flask. jackets or anything for the barrels if it gets too cold like with the molasses or anything uh, or is it all sugar cane I guess, it depends it gets one of it to yeah. be honest with you i don't know i only asked that because i happened at a former distillery i worked at we mm. were contract distilling making rum for them yeah and they sent us barrels of molasses and they were frozen when they got to chicago damn so we had to put heating jackets around it <laughs> yeah yeah 
Really, I mean, it obviously doesn't get that cold in Oregon, uh, right. in Portland, than it does here in Chicago. Like, like yeah, Chicago's a different kind of cold. Right, like, 30, <laughs> like thirty-two and sunny there is like not that bad when you get five inches of snow in an entire year. Right. Um, I've been in Portland where two inches of snow shut the city down. I'm like, guys, it's like it's like frost. Chill, guys. Yeah, calm down a little bit. <laughs> um, are we done pouring the avalanche? We're done, baby. Let's go. Oh, Kyle, thank you for all the insight into Westward. Yeah. Um, I'm sure everybody enjoyed talking and hearing and drinking about Westward. Um, and now we're on to the last uh, brand, um, certainly least. Well, oh, well, I mean, last, uh, but, but not least. Certainly not least. Uh. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Aberlauer. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. And once again, we are back with the world's greatest whiskey. No, I'm kidding. Well, uh, we have a big announcement Ladies to say. Ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you are getting fired from your job. <laughs> well, at least Glenn Little had me because I smashed that. Graham, <laughs> Graham, who is the master distiller of Abelauer, been on the podcast three, four times, um, reached out to me last night. And he said he would... They're giving you the job. Yeah. <laughs> Um, ladies and gents, only so, American can clean up a Scotch mess. So this is um, my name's Callum O'Donnell. Uh, no, um, Callum J O'Donnell. Callum John O'Donnell. Uh, this is Aberlour Single Malt Scotch. Uh, now, is it? Yes, oh. it is. Um, this one is honestly, guys, it's just a whiskey that puts a smile on people's faces. Like I think. It, it, especially when we have the gangbangs down in the basement. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You can edit that out, you can edit that out. <laughs> so, oh, we're, 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 unfortunately tonight, unfortunately tonight. She never listened to this podcast. <laughs> unfortunately tonight, we're only tasting the uh, Abelour 12 and the Abelour Abuna. Um, I had a little bit of an issue with my drizzly order. Um, the guy obviously, and it's, it's, it's fair play because the other one's called the Abuna Alba. Um, and they're very, very similar color in, in cases as well. Like oh, the, yeah, the yeah. case is very, very similar color. Uh, the, the whiskey, whiskey isn't. The whiskey is not at all. No. <laughs> the whiskey isn't. I would have brought you my elbow. I mean, if you, that would have been great, Caleb. You turned up late. Yeah, you were okay. 16, 16 um, minutes late. <laughs> so this is uh, Abelow Sing Malt, guys, is basically based at the heart of Speyside. All right, so when you talk about the Jerusalem of Scotch making, um, <laughs> what a reference! <laughs> this is like the holy land of single malt Scotch. See, that's Jeez. that's thinking outside the box. Glen Farkless is the Strip of Gaza. <laughs> Jeez, Glen Farkless is the Gaza Strip. <laughs> like you said, you're the Jerusalem of. So, um, Jeez. So this is the holy land. This is the holy land. <laughs> Man, this is going to shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you go for it. Um, so, oh, basically, guys, basically, uh, I'm going to leave. No. Um, so, in Speyside, which is the, the f- most famous Scotch whiskey-making region, oh. I talked a little bit about Speyside with the Glenlivet. Oh, I so mentioned not Avalauer. Speyside. I, no, I, but I mentioned it with the Glenlivet. But isn't it true that mostly people drink Balvini and Avalauer? <laughs> what? That's what I've heard. I mean, in, in, the U, in the UK? No, like actually at the bar across the street from Avalauer. Oh, right, yeah. Isn't the, most the, sold, ton. The, mash, the most sold whiskey is Balvini, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, don't, I presume so. That's what I've heard. I mean, Balvini is much bigger than Avalauer. We can fight about this later. Yeah. Um, so basically, guys, as I said before with the Glenlivet, the Speyside region is renowned for being three things. Rich, floral, and fruity. Those are the three flavors that you're looking at. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, <laughs> people have had nine whiskeys, ladies and gentlemen. We, I'm amazed that we got this. Even when we're being serious, they're still laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying my best to be serious now, and I was like, ah. um, so. When we talk about Aberlour, it really does fit into that mold. Uh, and none, neither of the two whiskies that you guys have tonight are going to be smoky. All right? Um, the reason that we put Aberlour last is that the, la- the whiskey on your right there, the Abuna, um, or the Abunda, as so many Americans like the to tell me. It's, a- uh, it's Aberlour, like happy hour. And Abuna, like Abuna Matata. Um, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> so basically, the, the Abuna is up there 120 odd proof. Okay, I think this is 61.2%, so it's 122.4 proof. Um, quick maths. You're welcome. And uh, the first whiskey that we're going to have is the Abelard 12-year-old. Now, mm. Abelard was founded in 1879. It's 142 years ago. Guy, guy called James Fleming. Uh, one of several famous Flemings to come out of Scotland. There was also Ian Fleming. He wrote James Bond. I'm sure everybody knew that. He also wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. Uh-huh. People always forget that one. And then there was another really famous Fleming to come out of Scotland, Alexander Fleming. Um, and he has, in some ways, indirectly, he has a cocktail, a very famous cocktail, Scotch cocktail named after him, because Alexander Fleming discovered antibiotics in the 1940s. Um, but the most important of those three is obviously James Fleming. I mean, come on, guys. Uh, so James Fleming founded the distillery in 1879, and the idea behind it was that he wasn't going to um, use any of the peated barley. It wasn't going to be smoky. Um, and Aberlour has kept that up since then. Uh, he died in the late 1890s, but from you know from that mon- moment on, they kept his legacy up. And the the, the sort of the heart of Aberlour as a brand is the use of Oloroso sherry barrels. Now, Oloroso in Spanish is uh, comes from the word el olor, which means the smell. Oloroso is basically a pungent or fragrant smell. Okay, and that was given to the name to the sherry. Um, as a fortified wine because it is an extremely potent sherry. Um, a lot of people talk about the word tannins, uh, which etymologically comes from the Latin tanniari, which means to brown. Okay, um, Oloroso sherry has one of the highest levels of tannins of any fortified wine out there. Uh, and that's why with Aberlour, it's something that we've really, really focused on. Um, the Aberlour 12 is double cask matured. That means that it uses two different barrel types to mature the whiskey ex-bourbon barrels uh, and focus on the ex-bourbon and then also ex-oloroso sherry barrels. The balance here is a little bit tipped in the favour of the bourbon and the 12-year-old is going to have a flavour quite similar to that of the Glenlivet uh, Founders Reserve. It's going to be very, very light. It's going to be citrus forward. Okay, you get a little bit of sort of green apple, green pear there, a little bit of pineapple. But one thing that I love about the Aberlour 12 with a little bit of water it really mellows out. You know, you don't get quite the same sort of heat or the bacon spice on the back of the throat. Um, but it's a really, really lovely whiskey and it's a great way to introduce yourself into Aberlour. You'll get slight hints of the Oloroso sherry coming through on the back end, the, the sort of the darker fruit, maybe some dark chocolate, figs, raisins, dates, those kind of things. Um, but that sort of sherry barrel influence isn't nearly as powerful as it would be in the Aberlour 16 or the, or the 18 that we've had before. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. sherry forward. Now with Aberlour, as I said before, guys, we've been working with these sherry barrels since uh, 1984, okay? Uh, this specific bodega of, of sherry. And it's gotten to the stage now that we have such a great relationship with them at Aberlour is that we can, we can dictate how long they're going to season the casks with the sherry for. Mm. Okay, so it's, that's also something that's really come to the fore for us in recent years. And it's been one of the reasons that in two, we obviously launched the single cask recently. 
um, a 2002 vintage, but it was an 18 year old launched in 2020. Uh, and that was we we've tried that one and it yeah was, we did uh, it on uh, podcast one forty nine or so yeah, yeah. It's up there yeah. and it was a really what was it Wilson said it was like the Abuna had gone on a, a the Abuna wow. was on a one night stand or oh, something oh yes he always um, compares his whiskey to lovemaking yeah <laughs> it's a lovemaking rye yeah um and so as you move up guys to the second whiskey here uh, which is the Aberlauer Abuna this has no ex bourbon barrel influence in it. Um, it's exclusively matured in Oloroso Sherry. Abuna means of the origin or the original because in Scotland in the 1800s, there wasn't a lot of Quercasalba. There wasn't a lot of white American oak on offer. Uh, and so um, Glasgow was a huge sherry port. And so they would take those sherry barrels up to the north of Scotland and they would uh, age a lot of scotches in them. So that's this is you know similar to the Founders Reserve at the, uh, with the Glenlivet. This, the Abuna, is made in the sort of the essence of what whiskey would have been like back in the 1800s in, in Scotland. So, a couple of cool things about the Abuna. Non-chill filtered, okay? So it's gonna have this thick, oily mouthfeel to it. Uh, it's, it's lovely, really, really lovely on the palate. And I know that that won't change the flavor, but, you know, the, how the texture, the consistency of something in your, on your palate will, will change your experience of the whiskey as well, right? So, compare the Abuna to the 12. You know, if you taste them side by side, you'll get a completely different experience with the Aberlauer Abuna. It almost like, it's almost chewy, right? Even if you only put a small amount in your mouth, it'll fill your, fill your mouth. Um, second in, in that sort of the, the sort of the original part is it's a small batch whiskey. So we change it every few months. So every couple of months we'll release a new batch and it'll have a totally different um, impression to it. And then finally guys, it's cask strength. So this one, like I said, it's 122.4 proof. Hmm. The CDC says that officially anything over 120 proof is hand sanitizer. So this is the probably the most expensive and tastiest hand sanitizer you've ever you've ever drank. Well, hopefully the only san hand sanitizer you've ever drank. Desperate times. <laughs> Desperate times. That's your measures, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when did uh, Avalar start using the sherry cast? So we've actually I've been doing a lot of research into this recently because. A friend of mine was really interested in the use of bourbon barrels, like officially ex-bourbon right. in Scotch. Not American, but ex-bourbon. Right. Um, and sherry has been around in, in Scotch um, Scotch maturation since the 1800s, you know, early 1800s. Right. Uh, and it all, it all actually comes down to Irish whiskey, funnily enough. Okay. The story starts with Irish whiskey. So Irish whiskey was once upon a time the, uh, the king of the world. Right, right. Irish whiskey sold way more than Scotch did. Um, and what happened was through a combination of things, um, uh, namely phylloxera, because they were getting a lot of their barrels from France, right. which and France was devastated by obviously that epidemic, if you like. Um, and when Irish whiskey fell by the wayside, Scotch kind of just filled in that demand. Mm -hmm. uh, and it got to the stage that Irish whiskey in 1930, they had one distillery yep. in the whole country. You know, Irish whiskey nearly died out, which is incredible. I think you're failing to mention a little bit of... Uh some political activity uh, yeah, as well. I, yeah. I wanted to avoid that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was some slight political activity going on. Um, but yeah, so Irish whiskey died out uh, or nearly died out and Scotch kind of filled that role. But what, what happened in that period was rather than French and American barrels mm -hmm. arriving to London and being shipped to Ireland, Sherry was already arriving in Glasgow. It had okay. a direct route from the southwest of Spain to Glasgow. Mm. And so... As Scotch filled in that role, they needed more barrels, they needed more whiskey made, the sherry just kind of took over, and it's something that we've used for a long time. 
the thing, the, the interesting thing is Oloroso Sherry. Yes. Um, Oloroso specifically is something that Aberlour hasn't always relied on. Um, Pernod Ricard took over Aberlour in, in 1974, I think. Three. 1973. Nice. Thanks for that. No, I'm serious. I, 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 I'll, t- I'll, yeah, I'm more than, I listen to Graham when he talks. Um, so 1973, Pernod Ricard take over Aberlour. And uh, he's no idea, but I'm running with it. Um, 1973, thanks for that, Graham slash Jake. Mm. Uh, and that was when the Oloroso started to come into play a little bit more. Is uh, because of ownership over certain brands? Uh, I think it was not ownership, but relationships. Mm. Mm. Um, and 1984 was when that was solidified. Okay. Uh, and 1997 was when we launched the, the batch one of the Aberlauer Abuna. And that was when Aberlauer got this, not just Sherry, um, reputation, but all are also sherry. Okay, which has been and since then, you know, it's been something that was hard to hard for us to shrug off. Um, but obviously, in 2019, we launched the Abuna Alba, um, which mm. you know has the double entendre. Alba in Scots Gaelic means uh, Scotland, but Alba in Latin is obviously given to Quercus Alba, meaning White American Oak. So, unfortunately, my Drizzly order didn't quite get it right. But that's okay. That's okay. Wasn't that wasn't that whiskey launched on this podcast? It, it, well, <laughs> it was it was first introduced on this pod, basically, um, and it was an, and so the Abuna Alba is exclusively in ex bourbon barrels. Made Wilson cry. Yeah, and so you get you get both sides of the True coin. Story. You get both sides of the Abenar coin, if you like. With the Abuna, you've got the the ex Oloroso sherry, the dark fruit flavor, the figs, the dates, the raisins. But then on the other side, you've got the Abuna Alba with the vanilla, the honey, and the butterscotch. Um, but yeah, that's about it, really. Yeah, it feels like when uh, when Graham talks about the Oloroso Sherry cast, it's like his main, I don't want to say like it's like his baby, but he emphasizes it so much. It's it's almost like built in the character of who he is as a master distiller. Yeah, and Graham's been doing this for, you know, 30 odd years. Right, because right, he started in the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, he was literally rolling battles yeah. in, in, in the, you know, in the warehouse. He was in the, he was working in the warehouse. And just because of his work ethic, they brought him in and they said, Graham, Look, we, he thought he was getting fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> he thought he was getting fired. But they brought him into the warehouse and they, was, uh, they brought him in the office and they were like, look, we love what you're doing. Do you want to move into operations? And he's been there ever since. And he's Graham, who's... Went to school while working there as well. Went to school. And he's obviously work, worked... Uh, he's the master still of Aberlour now, but curiously, he actually worked for a long time underneath as the, the understudy of Alan Winchester, who's the, un, who's the master still of the Glenlivet. Um, and, you know... I was I mean, trying to get there. <laughs> These, these two guys have just, they know, like Alan Winchester has forgotten more than any of us will ever learn about whiskey. You mm-hmm. know? Um, the guy's been around it since the, since the day he was born. Um, and so it's obviously a really, really great experience for him, like for Graham to be, to sort of take over at Aberlour, because that was Alan's uh, baby for a while as well. Right. So I know everybody's palates are pretty full here with all the 200 plus audience um, in here this evening. But... Uh, any uh, any favorites are standing out between these two whiskeys? I know the the twelve is it kind of fits into what we've been tasting here tonight. Um, light and fruit flavors, but very robust in that sense. The wine, the wine cast is very prevalent, um, but the Abunut is definitely something completely different. I think that we've tried here tonight. I'm sure that would probably stand out between the two of them. Yeah, the Abunut and the um, the stout cast are yeah. just yeah, absolutely, definitely good uh, good good whiskeys to finish off with. I think. Oh, yeah, no, I, I think, listen, man, um, what is what separates the world? Whiskey, what brings it together, okay? <laughs> no, but seriously, the, the water thing is so important. I think, um, 
a lot of people feel like it's sacrilegious to add anything to, to whiskey, mm. right? Right. But a little drop of water, even quite literally a droplet, will change everything, right? It just breaks up those oils and the esters and really opens up the flavor. Um, I think it's fair to say with all these whiskey, um, whiskeys, water is a friend to all of them. Yeah, 100%. And isn't that the biggest difference between the batches of Alba is the proof? So I mean, the, the question... Yeah, so the question from Kelly Nakagama, 30 points, leaving... They're, they're leaving on the podcast point. three times, apparently. You know the podcast Never three in times? the basement. Never though. in the basement. Wow. <laughs> uh, I won't say what we're all thinking. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, I was going to say the G word, but I didn't. I, re- I, I didn't. I held myself back. It's called um, self-restraint. I'm proud of you. Uh, self-discipline, baby. I love it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the biggest... I think the, the biggest difference that you can see and, and like the, that's tangible is proof. Mm. But for me personally, I, I think the biggest difference for me is like is the mouthfeel. Mm. Oh really? Um, because because it's non-chill filtered, every single one of them brings something from the barrel to the bottle, right? Okay. So when we talk about batching these, you know, Abelard sells about three hundred thirty-five thousand cases a year around the world. Stop showing off. About, I mean, that's small for small for single malt, small for Scotch at least. Yes, it's very small for single malts. For Scotch, tell us more. Um, <laughs> and in the United States, you know, we had a massive year last year. We're up, we're up closing in on forty thousand cases, right? But of those, maybe a thousand cases are or two thousands the Abuna and a thousands the Abuna Alba. Um, Every single time we do a, a new batch, it'll be a completely new, different set of barrels, right? And they'll have had different whiskies in them before, and all of those things kind of contribute to you getting this different kind of mouthfeel and and flavor sometimes even, you know? Mm. Um, and then obviously the proof is the one that goes on the label, so it's the easiest one to kind of cotton onto. But I think when I taste them side by side, you know, if I'm doing, if I do the Abra 67, 68, 69, 70, and you taste them, the Abuna's all side by side, then you really can taste the difference in the flavor, the mouthfeel. It's it's great. So, so next time you do that, can I come? Because I, I would love to taste all of those side by side. Uh, Kayla was asking if she can come and taste them with me. 100%. 100%. And oh, I, I know that... Where's the thing in the basement? Oh, yeah. Where's the thing That was our boyfriend that said in the basement. Like, what am I supposed to do? I, I'm, I'm hopeless here, man. You can do it at first row. Oh, yes, wow. Let's we'll do, do that. We'll do we have a large row. table. <laughs> <laughs> We have a leather couch. <laughs> Asterisk. What have we done? Oh, goodness. goodness. There's no gangbangs of Birch Road. There is a basement, though. Um, <laughs> didn't know there was a basement. Cellar, I thought. Cellar. I think, a cellar I, or a basement? I think that brings us to a good point. Birch Road, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. This yeah. has been amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Birch Road. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> hundreds of plotting out there. Um, no, Kim, appreciate it. Dennis, thank you so much for hosting us. All of the people out there in the audience, I can't even see that far back there. Um, people have started leaving. Yeah. You know, just uh, thank you for partaking. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for tasting, and this most of all, thank you for listening and showing up tonight. Because um, even though Abelauer is a well-known brand across the world, it's still a small brand. Obviously, Kyle and I work for smaller brands here. Um, well, one in America, one in Australia. 
the Glenlivet, we'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> we heard about how much they sell across the world, but these are the kind of things, the interactions we've missed the most over the last year and a half. Um, and it's a great way for us to sell whiskey, but also just communicate with people and feel like we're kind of getting back to normal. So thank you for all that. Um, everybody who's out there listening, please pour yourself a dram. Um, have a great night, and cheers to everybody out there. Sláinte. Sláinte.